Well, ho, 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 more like hurl, hurl, hurl. <laughs> You're not helping. Hey, I'm just trying to lighten the mood a little bit here, Brenda. It's Christmas Eve, you know. I don't need you to lighten the mood. I need to get the smell of puke out of our carpet before your Aunt Sue comes waltzing in here. Oh, Aunt Susie. I really don't see her as a waltzer. She's more of a tango girl, I think. You know what I mean. It'll be fine, Brenda. It's Christmas. Just because it's Christmas doesn't mean it's fine. I mean, our carpet still smells like puke. Our kid is still puking, and your family, for whatever reason, thinks they still need to come over here for hey, Christmas. Hey, hey, hey. We always host. It's a tradition. We host? No, we do not host. I host. You know what? There are exceptions to every rule, and I'm thinking that this is a great time to play that card. What card, Brenda? Our family wants to see us on Christmas. Sick kids or not. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't like it. Well, you have to let it go, Brenda. You just need to relax. That's easy for you to say. You're just sitting there. You're not the one that's covered in puke. Oh, you've never looked any better. Kurt, stop with the jokes. I don't want to hear it. I just don't want your entire holiday to be ruined. You know, we do have a lot to be thankful for. Tis the season to be jolly, remember? Oh, well, St. Nicholas, I don't feel very jolly. Then maybe you should have one of those sugar cookies. I don't want a cookie. I, I want a shower. Uh-oh. Brenda, I'm sorry. I was just kidding. Leave me alone. Uh, hit a little too close to home for some people here at all. Hey, I want to welcome you to uh, Kettlebrook West Bend. My name is Mike. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff. And if you haven't been with us for the month of December, we have been going through this short series that we have been calling uh, the Attitudes of Christmas. Because it's at this time of year that everybody is telling us uh, how we should be feeling at this time of year. That we should be full of cheer and joy and, and all those good positive emotions that uh, the, our culture and the advertisers should say that we should be feeling at this time of year, right? But, but if we're honest, it's at, at this time of year that oftentimes what we are experiencing and what we are feeling is a little bit of stress and anxiety as our skit members kind of adequately portrayed or even if we're if we're very honest we may may in our more honest moments experience a little bit of disappointment and dissatisfaction at and discontentment at this time of year and so we during this series we've been leveraging the christmas narratives to help kind of center us and to pause and reflect on the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ and perhaps reorient ourselves towards those attitudes that reflect the kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate. And so we've been talking about things like contentment and peace and graciousness and real joy. And we've been noticing that those things are rooted and found in a profound understanding of just exactly what God did 2,000 years ago in sending His Son into our world. 
And today, as we wrap up our series on these attitudes of Christmas, we're going to look at one last attitude. And it's an attitude that I think kind of acts as the glue and that binds up all these other attitudes together. We're going to look at the attitude of thankfulness. And and I would submit to you and I would argue to you this morning that it's actually very difficult to experience real joy if at first we're not experiencing thankfulness. And it's it's very difficult to experience the peace that God wants us to have without first experiencing or exercising this thing called thankfulness. Now, it's at this time of year that you would think that thankfulness is a relatively easy thing to come by, right? I mean, like, isn't it at this time of year that we're all getting what we want for Christmas? You know, we're letting our friends and family members know kind of the size, shape, and color of whatever it is that that we're expecting. I remember when I was growing up, I had a sibling who, uh, she, as a matter of course, she would take one of her favorite catalogs and just mark it up with all those post-it sticky notes, kind of page finders, and she would kind of distribute it to the members of the family to let us know in no uncertain terms just what she expected to be under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. But I think it's when we begin to focus on all of the stuff of Christmas that it actually ends up having the opposite effect. And instead of becoming more thankful, we become less thankful. And it has this kind of corrosive effect on our soul. I remember this was really driven home to me when we were young parents our first several years of our marriage we lived overseas and so we weren't able to be home during the holidays and i'll never forget that finally about five years into our marriage or so we uh, were able to schedule a home visit back in the united states um and we were all excited because for the first time our uh kids were going to experience Christmas with their family, with their extended family in Wisconsin. And we were really excited about this. But uh, unbeknownst to us is that well-intentioned and well-meaning grandparents and aunts and uncles saw this as an opportunity to make up for the four or five years that they had lost in past Christmases. And so they just deluged our kids with an avalanche of Christmas gifts. And they were totally unprepared for this. And I remember on Christmas morning, I'll never forget, our oldest son, PJ, he was about five years old at the time, he opened up his first gift. And he was really thrilled. He was like, this is really cool. And he was very happy. And he just wanted to go off and play with it. And Grandpa and Grandma were like, no, wait, there's more. And he's like, oh, okay. And he got to open up another Christmas gift. And he was thrilled with that. And he wanted to go off and play with that. They're like, no, no, you're not done yet. There's more. And... You could see the tension and anxiety rising in this little five-year-old's face. And there's like this conflict. I want to go off and just enjoy and appreciate what I have. But if I open up another gift, I get more stuff, you know. And I can tell you, being an eyewitness of the events of that day, that that child did not go home more thankful from Grandpa and Grandma's house than when he came in that morning. And, And I think... That that picture of my five-year-old son is a picture of me. When I begin to focus on the stuff 
of Christmas. Rather than the one of Christmas. The one who stepped into our world to initiate this whole season of, of celebration. And, and conversely, I would submit to you that as followers of Jesus, we are never going to experience real joy and contentment unless we first do not experience thankfulness. And that we can experience, we can actually choose thankfulness in any situation, in any circumstance, because ultimately our thankfulness is rooted in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the, to the book of Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke. You'll find it on page 725. We're going to look at chapter 2, which is a really familiar uh, passage, maybe for some of us, especially around the Christmas season. But we're going to take, maybe take a little bit different take on it this morning. And in order for us to really understand this passage, you need to understand and know a little bit of kind of the uh, position of shepherds. In the ancient Near East at this time. Okay? Shepherds in Jesus' time, in the, in the area of Palestine, were kind of the bottom feeders of society. They were not very high on the, on the, on the totem pole. They were not invited to the gala events, you know, for your not-for-profit. Because they really didn't have much to give. Okay? If you could not find a job doing anything else, you went off and find, found yourself a job as a shepherd. Uh, they were dirty, they were smelly, they, uh, they worked with animals all day long. And so they were kind of the neglected and despised class of society. Things haven't changed that much, actually, in some parts of the world. When uh, my friends Jay and Jack Mundinger and I were traipsing around the North Caucasus and Southern Russia this summer, we came across a shepherd. And there he is. That's kind of what he looked like. He was kind of a scary individual. You know, this is not a guy you want to bring home to mom. You know, and, and, and anything like that. So that was kind of the shepherd. And in Jesus' day, things weren't actually much different. Okay? They were the despised and neglected class. And Randy Elkhorn actually has done some research on this. And he says that shepherds actually didn't even have standing, legal standing in society. He says this. The Mishnah, Judaism's written record or of the oral law, also reflects this prejudice, referring to shepherds in belittling terms. One passage describes them as incompetent. Another says no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Okay? So if you come across a shepherd and he's in a pit, you're like, see ya. You know? Didn't have any, any obligation there. And um, Jer- Jeremiah's documents the fact that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or even be admitted in court as witnesses. Isn't that wonderful? So that you're a shepherd, you don't even have legal rights in a court of law. No one wants to listen to your word because it has no weight or merit. But it is to this neglected, despised class of people that God chooses to make the first announcement of his son's entrance into the world. We read this in Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying 
in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. <clears throat> now you kind of have to imagine the scene here. Here are the shepherds, they are, they're out in the, in the fields in the middle of the night, you know, they're maybe warming themselves around the fire, and all of a sudden, whoa, hey, you know, there's an angel, this, this blinding light is going around all over the place, and they are scared to death, I mean, they are freaking out, and the, the angel says to them, the first thing they say, because they teach you this in angel school, so they say, you're going to freak everybody out, so you have to tell them, do not be afraid, so he says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, and he says, and he says I have a message for you that you need to listen to. This is really, really important. It's a, it's, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, if you're a shepherd, that's really good news because you're included in all people. For as despised and neglected as shepherds were at this time, they were still considered human beings, okay? So this message was for them as well. And he says, today in the town of David, that is Bethlehem, okay? Beth- Bethlehem is the town of David. It's, a, it's the, the town that David grew up in. And interesting, when David grew up in Bethlehem, what was he? He was a shepherd, all right? In the town of, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, okay? Now, that word Christ is a title. It's kind of like president or prime minister. It is not Jesus' last name. Oftentimes people say his name is Jesus Christ, like Christ is the last name. Christ is a title. It's like president. And what it actually means is Messiah, or anointed one of God, the one anointed from God. Now, this is huge. This is huge. If you are a shepherd, if you're an Israelite of any kind, and you hear this announcement that the Messiah has come, this could only mean one thing to a Jewish person. The long-awaited Messiah promised and prophesied by Isaiah and Micah and other prophets to, to come, it was going to come and redeem Israel out of all their troubles. He had finally arrived. God was on the move and he is getting ready to fulfill promises and prophecies that were made hundreds of years earlier. And he's going to do it through the birth of this little baby into apparent poverty and scarcity. Now, and just when they are allowing the full weight and significance of this message sink in, then all of a sudden there's a whole host of angels that show up, you know, and the, one, of the, one of the translations say a multitude of angels. So now not just one showing at the glory of the Lord, but a whole army of them. And there's, there's probably lighting up the sky like fireworks. Now, we have movies now with CGI and computer animation and, and special effects, so we can kind of imagine what this might look like, okay? But, but I can guarantee you, and I tell you this, that these guys did not take this standing up, okay? They were probably running for cover, like looking for any place they could hide themselves in because this was like an awesome, scary sight. And then when all the angels kind of go away and disappear, they decide to themselves, they say, hey, let's go into Bethlehem, try to find this kid 
and see if what the angel told us is true. So they go into Bethlehem. And you can just imagine. They're knocking on every door inside. Who's there? Is there a baby in here? Oh, go away, you crazy shepherds. Get out of here. You know, they finally they're going all throughout Bethlehem. And then finally they, they, they find him. They find Mary and Joseph in, in the stable. And there is a, very, a place that's probably all too familiar to them because they're surrounded by animals. Okay? And there's the baby laying in the animal's feeding trough. They're probably wondering, who's this arrival taking up our space? You know, and it says they go away. And this is this is what I want to the verse that I want to focus on this this morning. It says in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They go away and they just they just tell everyone and anyone who will listen what they saw and experienced. And it's interesting what they saw, what they, they talk about. The child, okay, and what they saw in the child. Now, this is really interesting because if this was me and all of this, all this stuff happened to me that evening, I would not be telling people about the child. What would you be telling them about? You'd be telling them about the special effects out in the field. Like, can you imagine? Like, we were out there in the field and like, like we saw this, the whole sky just like lit up like a rainbow and these angels were singing and hallelujah chorus and Dolby surround sound. And I don't know if they had Dolby surround sound there, back then, but you know, and they, they, I would, that's what I would be telling people about. But what are they telling people about? They're telling people about the manger and, and specifically what was important to them, what they saw in the manger. It wasn't that... These big, hardened shepherds were just all of a sudden a bunch of softies, sentimental softies, and they're just overwhelmed with the baby. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, he's got little toes and everything. That's, that's not what they were. What was important was what they found was just what they had been told. What they saw was just what they had been told. Okay, and they, they go away glorifying and praising God. Okay, now, it says that they're glorifying and praising God. I don't want to get too technical here, but I am willing to bet on the fact that there is an element of thankfulness in their glorifying and praising God. Okay, I would submit to you that it's probably very hard to glorify and praise God without an element of thankfulness. In fact, the scriptures oftentimes link those two together. Thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and praise. We see this in Psalm 100. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So even though it says that the shepherds left glorifying and praising God, there is probably an element, uh, at least, of thanksgiving and gratitude in it. And what they are thankful for, the very specific thing that they are thankful for, is for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And they weren't enamored with the miraculous and sensational out in the field. What they were enamored with was this homeless couple who was, who was so poor and so homeless at the time that they had their child in a stable. In a stable. It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. For them, the connection between what they had been told and what they saw was 
critical. And what, what had they just been told? Earlier out in the field, what was it that they had just been told? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, our Messiah, the Lord. God was in the process of fulfilling his ancient promises to Israel that a ruler would come and establish his kingdom on earth. In a passage in Isaiah, the, the prophet just gets done talking about this ruler and that his rule was going to extend well beyond Israel and that he was going to break the yoke of all the oppressors. Okay, that was good news. Later on in that, in that verse, it says this, For to us a, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And if you were an Israelite living in Judah at this time, you were holding on to those promises and other ones like them, waiting for that Messiah to come. And this angel declares to them that that Messiah is now born in Bethlehem. God was on the move. He was fulfilling his promises of redemption and salvation that was promised long ago. And even though their immediate circumstances hadn't changed, these shepherds, these despised and lowly shepherds, were, didn't hold up in a court of law, went away thanking and praising God. Which was interesting. Because they were still shepherds. They still had crappy jobs. They still had a hard life. They were still the social outcasts. But somehow they were thankful. Their thankfulness and their praise and their joy had less to do with their circumstances and more to do with the posture of their heart. Some of these shepherds were able to maintain an attitude of gratitude in the midst of a really bad situation, which can only mean one thing, that thankfulness and gratitude is a choice that we can make independent of our circumstances or our situation. Whether you live a life of gratitude and thankfulness is totally independent. Whether your circumstances are going the way you want them to go or whether, you, whether they are not. This is something that we have control over. It's a choice that we can make to be thankful or not. And being thankful is actually just a better way to live. Okay? But uh, if, if given the choice between thankfulness and thanklessness, I will choose thankfulness every time. If given the choice between gratitude and ingratitude, I'll choose gratitude all the time. It's just a better way to live. Let's just put aside God and Jesus now for, for a moment in the talk and, and, and forget about Bethlehem just for the sake of argument. Let's just have a TED talk, okay? Living with gratitude is better than living without gratitude, okay? It's, it's just... A better way to live. A few months ago, a friend of mine sent me this YouTube of this guy I'd never heard of before. He's a Jewish author and, and commentator. His, his name is Dennis Prager. And he says this, You can't be a happy person if you aren't grateful. And you can't be a good person if you aren't grateful. Almost everything good flows from gratitude and almost everything bad flows from ingratitude. Here's a rule of life. Ingratitude guarantees unhappiness. It is as simple as that. There isn't an ungrateful, 
happy person on earth. And I don't know if you agree with that totally or not, but I think he's onto something here. I think he's discovered a truth about the way that we are wired and the way that we are created. When we are thankful and grateful for what we have, we just, that just normally and naturally leads to an overall sense of joy and happiness in life. And again, choosing to be thankful is something that you get to decide in any circumstance. Now, I have a lot of problems. Okay? Those who know me well know what they are. Okay? I'm not going to divulge them all to you this morning, but, but I will tell you about, about one. Well, I have... Um, well, I have like a, a lead foot. Okay? It's, it's something that I'm in recovery for, and the guys in my recovery group keep me accountable, and I'm, I'm getting better. But I occasionally will drive in excess of the posted speed limit. And there have been times when I have been pulled over by some well-intentioned police officers. Now, when that happens, I could choose to be angry and resentful about it and focus on what I wasn't given, which was a warning, and, uh, and, and not take responsibility for my actions. But what I choose to be in those moments is to be thankful and grateful. And even thankful and grateful for the officer that pulled me over. So this is what I do as a matter of course. As I take the bill and I note the officer's name and his department and I write him a thank you note. You're going to think I'm weird, but I say, listen, you pulled me over the other day. I want to thank you for teaching me a good lesson. I'm thankful for good officers like you who do their job well, which include giving drivers like me a ticket. And I, I, I find that that exercise actually is like a soothing balm on my soul. I could choose to be angry and focus on what I haven't been given, but I want to, and, and as, an act of, as an act of my will, I choose to be thankful for what I have been given. Ern, Ern McManus says this. He says, When we are grateful... We see and experience life with a healthy optimism. When we lack gratitude, we move towards pessimism and even cynicism. An ungrateful heart always sees what's wrong with life. And the longer we live without gratitude, the more embittered we become. The more embittered we become, the more we find ourselves overwhelmed with depression. Bitterness, in the end, leads to hopelessness. I remember a friend of mine telling me about a seminary professor that he had when he was in graduate school. And everyone knew that this uh, professor was going through cancer and going through cancer treatments at the time. He was very sick. And he would begin every class uh, with a prayer. And in his prayer, he would say this, God, I thank you for the degree of health that you have given me today. God, I thank you for the degree of health that you have given me today. Isn't that interesting? Rather than focusing on what he wasn't given, he focuses on what he has been given. And gratefulness and gratitude is something we can choose. And when we choose to be grateful, we begin to step into the life that we were created to live for each one of us. Okay, so the end of the TED Talk. Back to Scripture. Okay, let's look at some of this stuff. We were actually created 
to be thankful. That was part of our original design. But when sin entered into our world, we broke. And part of our brokenness is this natural tendency and proclivity towards ungratefulness and ingratitude. Okay? And when God enters into our life, He begins to put us back together and make us whole again. And part of that process of putting us back together and making us whole again is developing and nurturing a profound sense of gratitude and thankfulness for the things that we have. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing letters to all the house churches that are kind of scattered throughout Turkey in his day, has so much to say. He almost cannot get through a letter without mentioning the importance of thankfulness in some way. He says in Philippians 4, 6 or 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul actually indicates that there is a link between experiencing the peace that God has for us and expressing thankfulness. And having thankfulness. In First Thessalonians, he says this. Be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes people come to him and they say, Pastor Mike, I want to know what God's will is for me. You know, who should I marry? What should I do? You know, all those big questions. And I always just found, well, I can tell you what God's will is for your life. Be thankful. You know, give thanks in all circumstances. Not, not just some circumstances. Not just the positive circumstances. But be thankful. Give thanks in all all circumstances. And maybe if we can learn how to give thanks in all circumstances, those bigger, more detailed questions might work themselves out. In Colossians chapter 3, in, in just a few verses, Paul says three times about the importance of being thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be what? Thankful. Oh, great. You guys are paying attention. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, here it says that it's, he says it as a command and be thankful. It's a command. It's actually a command to be thankful, which can only mean one thing. That it's a choice. That we can obey or disobey this command to be thankful. And it's a choice that we can make or not. And if it's a choice, it's something that each and every one of us can choose to do. Not a single one of us can say, I am constitutionally incapable of being thankful. Okay? That's, it's just impossible for me to do. No, I have this natural proclivity towards cynicism and pessimism. I can't be grateful. None of us can say that. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't give us this command to be thankful. That would be cruel and unkind. We have control whether we are grateful or not. And it begins by focusing on what we have been given, not on what we haven't been given. Which brings us back to these shepherds. Do you remember him, them? It's been a while since we visited them. They didn't have a lot. They had almost the worst jobs possible for their culture and their time in history. Yet they were full of thanksgiving. How is that possible? Because they were finding their thankfulness 
in their gratefulness and praise and joy rooted in their portion of the Christmas narrative which they found themselves in. They didn't know how the story was going to end. They didn't know that this, this Messiah that was going to be born or this king that was going to be born was going to be a king for all peoples, not just for the nation of Israel. They didn't know that the Messiah was going to be a suffering Messiah who, as Isaiah says later on in chapter 53, that he will be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, that the punishment that would bring us peace was going to be upon him and that by his wounds that we were going to be healed. They didn't know any of that. All they knew is that God was on the move and was now acting to fulfill his promises that he had made 500 years earlier. Ultimately, that is the one thing that we can center our thankfulness on at this time of year. You know what? I have some bad news for you. You may not get what you want for Christmas. But you can be thankful regardless. Because our thankfulness isn't rooted on what we get or what we don't get. Christmas may come and go, and you may still be single. Christmas may come and go, and you might still be married to that guy or that girl. But we can still choose to be thankful. Because our thankfulness isn't anchored and rooted in our circumstances. 2019 might come, and just like the shepherds, you might have to go back to this job that you hate. Okay? But like the shepherds, you can go back with joy and with thankfulness because our thankfulness isn't ultimately rooted in whether we have the job that we want. It's rooted in the fact that God stepped into our story and took his first breath in a manger in Bethlehem that would ultimately lead him to his last breath on a cross. And that in doing so, God demonstrated his commitment and his love towards humanity beyond any shadow of a doubt. And as followers of Jesus, we can actually choose thankfulness in any circumstances or any situation because ultimately our thankfulness is rooted in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So I have a little bit of Christmas homework for you guys to do. If you have a free moment, I would encourage each and every one of you to grab your Bibles. I want you to find the book of Ephesians, okay? Ephesians is not a skin ailment. It's actually a book in the New Testament. Okay, find Ephesians and turn to chapter 1. You don't have to do it now, but at some point during this whole season, turn to chapter 1 and read chapter 1 of Ephesians. And then make a list, either a mental list or you can write it down. That'd be great. Of all the things in Ephesians chapter 1 of what God has done for us in Christ. You will find that phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, or in Him, several times in that one chapter. And then once you've made that list, again, mentally or on a piece of paper, as 2019 comes, you may want to get up 
and start your day, either at your desk or better yet, on your knees, and just review that list. And thank God for all the things that he's done for you in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, I guarantee you, if you do that in 2019, I guarantee you, that will change your life. Now hear me carefully. I didn't say it would change your circumstances. I said it would change your life. Because our attitude would be one of thankfulness, focusing on all that Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father God, we long to be a people who are like those shepherds 2,000 years ago, who although they were the outcasts of society, although they were neglected and despised by people that they lived with, they could still choose to be thankful in the midst of it. Because their thankfulness and their gratefulness wasn't rooted in their circumstances or what they had or didn't have. It was rooted in what you were doing. And you were stepping into history and fulfilling all those ancient promises of sending a Messiah to redeem humanity. And now, Father, we we stand on the far side of Bethlehem knowing the full story of what you've done. And we now know that we are a people redeemed and restored by the blood of your Son. Father, we should be a people who get up every single morning and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for uh, for forgiving my sins. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you for rescuing me out of the realm of darkness. Thank you for filling me with your spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Help us to be people who live with thankfulness in our hearts for what you've done so that we can adequately reflect what you're like to people around us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.